Well, good morning. How is everybody? Good? All right. Everyone's awake, alive, full house today. That's pretty exciting. It's because of the kids, I know. It's because of the kids. I was impressed not only with their singing, but the fact that they didn't knock over any poinsettias. That's amazing, because when I was their age, I definitely would have. Uh, my name's Sean Bolton. I'm a staff member. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, so oh, one other thing. The Army, did Army beat Navy yesterday? Did that happen? It's a great day. It's been the coolest college football season, I swear. But anyway, my name is Sean Bolton. I'm excited to be here with you. We're continuing on with our series of, uh, it's called One of Us. Um, and the verse that's kind of defined this series is John 1.14. Just wanted to read that to you. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So as the, the video bumper kind of said there, this series challenged us to look at that important question um, when it comes to our faith of why did Jesus come, come and become one of us? Um, and we've kind of been responding to that challenge by looking at the things that Jesus taught while he was here on earth. I think that most of us have an understanding of the fact that Jesus came to save us from the eternal consequences of sin. Most of us kind of, you know, if you grew up in church, you know that. But what we've been looking at is that that's really the reason that Jesus died. And we're kind of spinning it to, to say, like, there, there was a whole life that happened prior to, that, prior to his death. Um, he, and we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there was a life between Christmas and Good Friday. You know, he was 30 years old, Jesus was, when he started his ministry on earth. And then it wasn't until three years later that he was betrayed and died and ultimately rose and, and ascended into heaven. So we understand why he died, but this series is challenging us to think about why did Jesus live? Why was he here when he came to, why did he come to earth? And just the fact of, of how he came to earth, he came as a baby, which is like, blows my mind. Like when I think of a baby, I automatically go to my son. When Derek was born, I can remember like sitting in, a ho- in the hospital holding him and thinking, wow, this kid is in trouble. He's 100% reliant on me. Like, good luck. <laughs> like having that thought of like, how am I going to do this? And that's how Jesus, how God came to earth, decided like, this is how I'm going to do this. I'm going to come as a humble, dependent, weak baby to save the world. Amazing. Um, but, and, and to go on from there, like de- Jesus didn't grow up in luxury or anything like that. He wasn't necessarily notable as he grew up. His, his dad was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. Um, he did eventually gain kind of a following as a rabbi and a teacher. But by the time he started to really gain traction and could have gained a lot of popularity, he was betrayed and killed, right? Betrayed by one of his closest friends and, and killed in the most humiliating way. And the way that Jesus' life played out, we see that if, if you want to kind of give it like a tagline or, or, or a, a saying of some sort, you can say that he came as one of us but was treated as less than one of us. He came as one of us, but was treated as less than one of us. And he was, he was fully human. And when I think about that, it's just another thing that blows my mind because, because he, was, he was fully human, we can relate to the emotions and things that he went through. While we probably never went through some of the exact same stuff that he did, we can at least relate to the emotions and what he was feeling in those moments. Right? So I was never stripped and beaten and paraded around in front of a, a crowd and humiliated in that way. But I can understand the feeling of being humiliated, right, in front of someone, made to feel less, like less than someone, or, or made fun of because of something I couldn't control. And as evidence of that, I would submit to you my awkward middle school years, right? Um, the, the middle school boys' phys ed locker room can be a terrible place for a short, pudgy kid whose mom, wait, 
made him wear whitey tighties when everyone else was wearing boxer shorts, right? <laughs> so I can, I can remember, like, gym class went exactly the same way. Every, like, you know, once a cycle, we'd have gym, and I'd, I'd run in, I'd grab my gym uniform, I'd run to the back row of lockers so nobody could see me, I'd, I'd change real fast, but it, inevitably, you know, every once in a while, I, I wasn't quick enough because I was a, a short, pudgy, short, short, pudgy kid. Uh, I wasn't fast enough, and somebody saw me and, and would begin to make fun of me. Right? It's not a good feeling. Middle schoolers are brutal, I'll tell you what. But in those moments, I would have given anything to be, to be skinnier, to be more athletic, to be wearing boxer shorts. I've given anything for that. But mostly, I would have given anything not to have to relive those moments again, not to have to go through that. And, and most of us have given the choice. My bet is most of us would have avoided these humiliating moments altogether if we could. And the reason is because they make us feel like less than others. They dehumanize us. They, they destroy our dignity. And if you contrast that with what, what Jesus did, he, it almost seemed like he sought these moments out, right? He didn't have to come to earth as a human, but he did. And he knew that part of that deal was he would have to go through some of these moments. And we have to ask our question, why would he do that? Why would God do that knowing that he you know, he's God of the universe. He created the universe. He didn't have to do that if he wanted, didn't have to. But the reason is, is that God created people to have dignity, right? And he came to elevate that truth. And knowing that he would have to go through every, all those humiliating moments, understanding all that, he thought that this principle of people having dignity and worth was so important that he would do it, do, go through all that anyway. See, Jesus spent his life elevating the dignity of individuals, being the best explanation of God to the people here on earth by showing the value that individuals have. And this morning, we're going to look at how he did that and what he did to illustrate that truth as he walked among us here on earth. So again, we're going to look at this question, why did Jesus become one of us? And if you pull out your outlines that are in your program guides this morning, um, it, it kind of gives us the answer that Jesus elevated the dignity of the individual. That's why he, he came to earth, to elevate the dignity of the individual. But he did that through his teachings and interactions. Jesus elevated the dignity of the individual through his teachings and interactions. So most of you know at this point by now that most of my ministry experience and background is in youth ministry. I've been doing youth ministry for the better part of 10 years. Um, you learn a lot of lessons doing youth ministry from the kids, but also from the people you're, you're in the trenches of ministry with. Um, I used to be on staff at, at a youth center in Harrisburg, and there was a lady that I was on staff with, and she preached this thing called teachable moments. And she said, you can never lose sight of the teachable moments. You have to take advantage of them. And what a teachable moment is, is when, you, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, moments just find you, right? They, uh, something happens with a student, uh, they're going through something, or they say something that they shouldn't say, and, and you can use that moment and say, you know, this, and speak, this is something that God has for you in this moment. You know, it gives you instant something to relate, a, a lesson from the Bible, or something that Jesus wants to speak into them. And one example that I can think of that she used a lot um, we, our, our primary focus is 6th through 12th graders, right? And, and the older students tend to get their, their dress changes, right? So some of them, you know, they start dressing a little bit more, I'll use the word provocatively, <laughs> if I can use that word. But, um, 
you know, it's, it's a natural temptation. And she was so good about using those situations um, to, as teachable moments and say, you know what, in, in a loving way, you know, the, the way you're dressed right now, you're, you're sending a message. And I don't know if you want to send the message that you're sending, but I know that's not the message that God wants you to send. And it's just, just to see her in those moments using that, that, that to, to speak a truth of God into their lives is just an awesome thing. And I was thinking about that, and I realized that, that Jesus does this all the time. If you read through the Bible and read through his teachings, he is so awesome at using these moments to speak to the disciples and speak to the people that are listening to him and say, look at this situation. This is how it applies to you and how you apply to the kingdom of God. And there's a really great teachable moment found um, in Matthew 19. It's verses 13 through 15. I'll just read it to you. It says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Familiar story. Most of you probably heard it already, but... um, it makes me think of like, like little kids. Have you ever seen a little kid cry when they don't want to? Like the tears well up and they, they're doing everything they can to hold the tears back and like their face is like contorting and they're just trying to not let the tears come out. This happened to my son a few weeks ago. He started wrestling, which I'm super psyched about. Uh, he started wrestling and um, he's not necessarily used to the intensity yet, right? So he's going through that. He's working through that. But a few weeks ago, we were, we were at practice and I'm helping coach. And uh, they're drilling this one move. It was a new move that I hadn't learned before, and he's had a little trouble with it. And they took a break, and he came over to me, and I kind of got down on a knee so he could so he'd talk to me. And, and he's like, Daddy, I just, I want to go home. I want Mommy. And I was like, duh. <laughs> yeah, right? The, the dad in me wants to, like, scoop him up, give him a hug, and get him out of there. But, again, it's this teachable moment, and the coach and the teacher in me is like, okay, I had to teach him about, like, not quitting and all that stuff. And, and, you know, we got through it, and we talked about it. But you could see, like, the tears, like, welling up in his eyes. And I was down on a knee, so he kind of had his head buried in my chest. And, like, he was crying, but he didn't want his team to see he was crying. So he's, like, standing like this, and he's, like, getting the tears out of his eyes, trying to save his dignity. Oh, my goodness. It was such an interesting moment and kind of a dad-slash-teacher-coach moment that was pretty cool. But um, it kind of reminds me of this story. Um, To set the stage a little bit, you know, these little kids are trying to get to Jesus, Right? They're trying to get there. Their parents had brought them from who knows where to get blessed by Jesus who is going around teaching. And they probably felt really awesome about that. And they get there and the disciples say, no, he's too busy. Get out of here. Right? They're, trying, they're showing him away. And I can't help but to think that there were probably some tears in that moment. Right? Like the mall Santa just closed up shop and your kid's next in line. Right, that those kind of tears are happening right now. And Jesus sees this and he gets mad, right? He rebukes them, let the little children come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to them. And you have to understand that this wasn't just a nice little lesson about let the little children come to me. He was turning a cultural norm of children being insignificant. He was turning that on its, on its head and saying, no, if you're going to follow me, if I'm going to be your, your savior, your, your, uh, your leader, your, your teacher, you're going to have to learn to elevate the dignity of even the little children. Elevate the dignity of the people who, according to everything that you know and have been taught, are classless, are insignificant, don't mean anything. The people who deep down in your heart, you know, if it was up to you, you wouldn't have time for them. 
And we see Jesus do this over and over again in his teachings. All throughout the Gospels, we see him use teachable moments to not only teach, but demonstrate that we all have value in his eyes. Right? He doesn't just talk about it. He then goes on and lives it. He demonstrates it. He doesn't just tell them that the kingdom of heaven belongs to these kids. He brings them up, and he blesses them. He lays hands on them. He talks to them. And this is probably the reason that, that stories like the Good Samaritan and the woman at the well are so notable and gain so much traction. Jesus takes people in the Jewish society in his day that would have been near the bottom of the moral food chain, right? The, the Samaritans were like considered half-breeds. You know, the, the Jewish people wouldn't even walk through Samaria for fear of getting like infected or something. You know, the widows, the, the women, the children, he takes these people and he elevates them in stories and in interactions to be heroes, flips the social stigma on his head and says, this is what I'm asking of you. The lowest of lows, invest in them, talk to them, give them dignity. He challenges us to do the same thing, to think about people in, in our lives. Who are the people in our lives that, that we look down on? Right? Whether it's an individual or a group of people, who are those people that we just don't have time for for one reason or another, that we don't interact with? And, make, and he wants us to make the conscious decision to follow Jesus' teachings and example to elevate their dignity and add value to them. That's what God call, is calling us to do. And our family of churches, the Alliance, they have this end-of-year giving opportunity that we'd like to invite you to that is doing just that. It allows us to show a group of people who are really hurting and are probably having a hard time finding that value to invest in them. They're inviting us to invest in them and add that dignity and that value to them. Would you watch this video with me? Imagine wanting to buy your family a pet kitten. You open your mobile phone app only to read this advertisement instead. Girl for sale. Beautiful. 12 years old. Virgin. Her price has reached $12,500 and she'll be sold soon. That's an actual advertisement marketing Yazidi young women and children. The Yazidis, Northern Iraq, been targeted by the ISIS campaign as a people group that they want to slaughter, killing thousands, mass graves. I hear stories like that and I think I want to do something. We hear continuous streams of stories of refugees fleeing oppression, filling boats, crossing borders. I wish I could do something. Maybe worse, there's an unlimited number of stories we don't hear. The Balkans, where religious extremists are recruiting boys and young men into radicalized military forces. Can I be part of the solution somehow? If you've been in the Alliance family for a while, you may be guessing where I'm going next. We can help. We can do something. Because we're already there, us, the Alliance family. In northern Iraq, among the Yazidis, our refugee work is amazing. Oil, rice, baby supplies, soap, toothpaste, life's basics, personally delivered, tent to tent, to hear the stories, share the pain, bring the loving message of Jesus, and the local Alliance Church being strengthened as a result. Refugees spilling into Germany and France, weary, fearful, at risk, are met by loving teams sent by us, the Alliance family. The hands and hugs of Jesus. We haven't been able to get missionaries into Syria for 60 years, yet the Syrians are coming to us and to your town as well. 
Balkans. One local man, angered by what was happening in the land he loves, came fleeing, led by a dream, to our team. We had the joy of baptizing many, launching a new church that is now reaching out to other villages where no gospel witness is currently present. When I ask you to give to Kama and the CMA throughout the year and here at year-end, these are the kind of stories we're supporting and hundreds more like them in the world's neediest places among the least-reached people. Places like Bonglo Hospital that's providing great medical ministry while leading 2,300 people to Jesus last year alone. The Cambodian CMA partners with the national movement to plant a church in every village. This is what we're part of, and we long to do more. In fact, we have open doors to do more, and we will do more as led by the Spirit and supported by our prayers. Our finances are able to thrust us forward. So what are we going to do? My wife and I have felt impressed that we should give one month's income to this offering. Just ask God, what's my part in this? You see, together we can do something. Together we are doing something, and together we'll do more. Ask God what your part is, and then do it. It's a great cause. So if you're, if you're interested in giving to that and participating in that opportunity, there's more information inside of your scoop for you. So, so we have a decision to make. Right? We have the, the choice of who we're going to value. We can take Jesus' challenge or we can ignore him, ignore his teachings, ignore the example that he set for us, keeping in mind that Jesus himself, as a man walking among us, had that exact same temptation. Right? He could have looked at those people, looked at those children and turn, turned them away. You're less than me. I don't need to talk to you. Looked at the, the woman at the well and looked at the, the, good, you know, the good Samaritan story and, and, and spun it a different way to say, you know what, they're beneath me. But he didn't do that. Right? He chose instead to invest in these people. And he also made another choice, one that changed the course of history, but also showed us just how much he values each and every one of us. Jesus elevated the dignity of the individual through his death. Through his death. That's our second point this morning. Nothing elevated the individual person more than Jesus' death on our behalf. There's a great verse in uh, Romans 5. It's verses 7 and 8. It says, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I heard a story one time about a pastor who was teaching his congregation about the importance of purity and, you know, saving yourself and not having sex before marriage. And he did it in an interesting way. He, uh, he pulled out a rose, like a beautiful rose, and, and showed it to everyone in the congregation. He drew the parallel that this rose was like somebody that was saving themselves for marriage, right? And, and he asked everyone to kind of pass it around. He wanted everybody in the congregation to touch this rose and see how beautiful it was and and pass it around. He didn't want it back until everyone in the congregation had touched this rose. And he, he preached for a few minutes, and then finally the rose made it back up, and he began to talk about how that rose is like somebody that, that passes from person to person to person to person, right? And he looked at it, he got it back, and he said, look at how weathered and torn up and messed up this rose is. The stem had broken, the petals had fallen off, and, and uh, the, the leaves were falling off because of all the people handling it. And he was drawing that parallel, and he, he held this 
beaten up, nasty looking rose up to his congregation. And he said, who would want this? Making that, that parallel between that and somebody that was you know, promiscuous or hadn't saved themselves from, for, for marriage. And it got quite quiet, and the congregation was kind of contemplating this, like, who would, who would want this? And somebody yelled out, Jesus would. And that just makes you think, like, what was, what, what was the pastor thinking, for one thing? But it points to the, the power of this Romans verse, and that Jesus' death on the cross puts us all in a laying, level playing field. I think all of us know stories or maybe had things happen to them personally where they were hurt by either the church or somebody in the church in the name of Jesus, right, where you needed support and love and you got condemnation. And this verse is telling us that that was never Jesus' intent, right? We're all on a level playing field. There's no spiritual hall of fame that, like, the uber-Christians get into. There's no pecking order for Jesus' love. There's, there's no rating scale when it comes to sin. You know, I think, and that's a, trip, a, a trap that I've fallen into and, and sometimes still do. You know, in our eyes, we, we kind of rank our sins. We view ours as just these, like, insurmountable things that, that we can't get over. You know, we rank them. Murder's worse than stealing. Lying isn't as bad as sexual sin. But God's perspective is a lot different than that. And if you're thinking that way, you're thinking that God couldn't love you because of your sin or anything along those lines, I want to offer you freedom in knowing that in God's eyes, Sin is sin, right? We're on a level playing field. And you can think of it in this terms, these terms. If you, if you think about Mount Everest, right? It's a huge mountain. Yes, it's, it's one of, if not the biggest mountain in the world. I think there's maybe one bigger than it. But if you were to close your eyes and imagine yourself standing at the base of, of Mount Everest and looking up, it's, 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 it's daunting how big it is, Right? You're looking up, and if, if, if you're a sane person, <laughs> you would never imagine climbing to the top of Mount Everest. But if you change your perspective, look down on it. From God's perspective, Mount Everest is, is just another mountain, another, one mountain of a, of a million mountains that's ready to be climbed. Your sin, you can think of it as, as one of a million sins ready to, to be forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus. The blood that was shed on the cross out of love so that we understand our worth in God's eyes. Your sin is not the one sin that God can't forgive. You know, you're not the one person that is so messed up that God can't love you. You're not the person that's low enough on the totem pole that God doesn't want your dignity and your value to be elevated. So if you hear nothing else that I've said this morning, please, please, please hear this. You have infinite worth in the eyes of the Father. And I sense that there are people in here this morning that need to hear that message. You have infinite worth in the eyes of the Father. God's people are his most prized possessions. And you are part of that group. And this morning, to celebrate that and reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, which confirmed that truth, we're going to take communion together. We're going to sit at the communion table with our Father as a family and respond to the Holy Spirit's invitation to meet Jesus on level ground before the foot of the cross. Because ultimately, that's what communion is. God meeting us where we are, in the middle of everything we have going on, in the muck, in the mess, in the distractions, in the busyness, in everything that's going on in our lives. God's calling us and saying, take a seat. 
or family. Let's talk about this. And I want to, to pray over you as the, as the communion servers come forward, just in, in, in light of this and understanding that we are on level ground before the Father. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your communion table. Thank you for the value that you see in each and every one of us. And I pray, God, that as, as we break bread and take communion with you and, and together as a church family, that you would just make it clear that we have value and, and our dignity is, is, is raised up by you, God. So we thank you for, for all that you do for us and all that, you, all that you, you've done for us, God. Be with us as we take your seat at your table. Amen. So as we sing this next song, Wondrous Cross, come. You're going to please come, just come down the middle when you're ready and, and take the elements and you can go back to your seat and we'll take communion together as a church family.